0: morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, January 21st, 2023. And our top story today, yep, it's Secure Saturday. Today, we'll be talking about potential for technical corrections, the RMD and Roth rules. And joining me now to kick off this inaugural episode, David Levine, Kevin Walsh, both are principals with Groom Law Group. That's an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. Legal Eagles, David, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning.
1: Thanks for having us on, Jeff. It's uh, it's a great new series you're launching because Secure's got a whole lot in it, and it's going to make a big difference for retirement savers in, in the upcoming years.
0: Thanks, Kevin. David, I want to come to you first because I want to ask you, before we get into some of the provisions we're going to talk about this morning, I want to ask you about possible, uh, what are you hearing about possible technical corrections
2: for Secure 2.0? Absolutely, Jeff. That's a great question. You finish a bill, you start the new one, I guess, is the logic here. The very basics of this is there are some provisions of Secure 2.0 where people have questions. Who does it apply to? What are the effective dates? Little pieces like that. We could spend a whole bunch of weedy time in the weeds, but the short answer is there are already discussions beginning about how do you clarify certain things? Like when does the R&D age that's going to take effect in 10 years apply? Kevin will talk about that, but that it's those things. We, there's a chance, you know, I think Congress is exhausted its firepower for the moment, or it's, not firepower, energy on, re, on on retirement for the time being. But you never. there's a real chance that there'll be some little cleanup types of things done in 2023. So that's the basics at this point. All right, Kevin, let's let's come to
0: you. David, teed it up perfectly for you. Let's talk RMDs today. We're going to talk about a couple of the provisions. There are over 90. What do you have for us in terms of, what do we need to know, I should say, if you're a plan sponsor or an individual about required minimum distributions, also known as RMDs.
1: And Jeff, thanks for going there. I mean, I I think it's important that we get to brass tacks instead of talking about, you know, pie in the sky, secure 3.0, secure 4.0, whatever uh, David Levine wants to talk about here. Um, So I I appreciate that we're grounding it in in what the changes in the law actually are. Um, So what secure 2.0 did, though, was it made some significant changes to required minimum distributions. And required minimum distributions are, you know, they're the, the money that individuals are forced to take out of retirement plans once they reach a certain age. Um, and the reason generally that folks are required to take money out of retirement plans when they get to a certain age is because if the money stays in the plan, it's not taxed. And then once it starts coming out of the plan, it's taxed. And so it's important from a you know government reg- revenue standpoint that the money is required to start coming out at some point particularly as they want these 401k plans to be used for retirement savings and not simply as a, a way to you know store money in a, a tax-free environment. Um, Secure 2.0 made three pretty significant changes to the RMD rules. Uh, the first of them is it increases the age that someone's required to take an RMD. So prior to the Secure 2.0, uh, individuals were required to take money out of their retirement plans uh, in the calendar year after they'd achieved, attained 72 years of age. So, 72-year-olds were generally required to start taking required minimum distributions. Um, you know, starting this year, essentially, um, if you turn 73, um, you're going to be start. You're going to be required to start taking minimum distributions. So, it's gone from 72 to 73. Um, and then, as David highlighted, there's a little bit of ambiguity. Uh, so, I'm going to leave it as you know. In 10 years after enactment, it's going to get ratcheted up to uh, 75. For when individuals are required to start taking required minimum distributions. Um, Ultimately, the idea behind increasing the age that someone's required to take minimum distributions is that if someone's able to, if someone has a smaller nest egg um, or if someone works longer, um, requiring someone to start taking money out later, it decreases the likelihood that they're going to run out of money uh, in retirement. So these are positive changes in terms of allowing folks, you know, if you you want to take a distribution before then, you can. But if due to your financial situation or due to your work situation uh, you don't need to take distributions uh, it allows you to defer to a later date so i'll very quickly hit on the last two changes because i you know i don't want to use up too much time here um and so what it also does is it enhances the use of commercial annuities um in when you're taking rmds so One of the issues that we've seen around, you know, in-plan annuity offerings uh, and around annuities in general has been, you know, some, you know, not great intersection of the RMD rules uh, and the operation of annuities. And Secure 2.0 makes some changes to go into that. It's kind of complicated, so I I don't think we'll go into more detail in this segment. Um, And the last thing that it does is, you know, there's folks who miss taking their required minimum distributions uh, for a variety of reasons, whether they're missing, whether they just didn't realize they needed to take a distribution or, or some other reason. And prior to Secure 2.0, there was a 50% excise tax on the, on the, the misdistribution. Now, with Secure 2.0, that's reduced to 25%, so a smaller tax on people who you know, forget to take retirement savings out when they're required to take it. Uh, and then in some limited circumstances, that, that you know, excise tax to be reduced to 10%. Uh, in short, it seems like what Congress has focused on, Secure 2.0, with respect to R&Ds, was, you know, making sure that people can leave the money in the plan maybe a little bit longer and, you know, penalizing folks less for failing to take money out and for protecting their nest egg.
0: Well, thanks for that, Kevin. And David, it sounds like this, you talked earlier about possible technical corrections for lack of a more clear term. This is an area where there could be some clarification as well Mm -hmm. um, in 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 the language and the law.
2: Absolutely. You're
0: spot on, Jeff. All right, David. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the Roth provisions. What what the Secure Act does to Roth and what that means for employers, employees, all of the above, all of us.
2: Great. Well, I'm going to talk about a couple different things very quickly on Roth. First of all, the first bucket is for people between age 60 and 63. There is an increased limit on catch-up contributions at this point. So I want to note that as a side. I'm just going to introduce that because it then comes into Roth because here's what happens in, and that's going to have a lot of interest probably from people. But Congress at this point has changed up how catch-up contributions work going forward. As a revenue raiser, as we've talked many times with you every, every every week when we talk with you as the legal eagles, one of the discussions that comes up is Congress tries to find ways oftentimes to pay for legislation. One of the ways that they can due generation of revenue, is Roth contributions, because Roth money is taxed when it goes in, which is current revenue, but the non-taxability of the Roth and the earnings is usually way in the future. A lot of it's more than 10 years out, so it doesn't get counted for budget purposes. Why is this relevant? In Secure 2.0, there's a revenue raiser in there saying that catch-up contributions need to be done on a Roth basis starting next year, And for people who have in their plans Roth contributions already, they may say, oh, well, that's pretty easy. For people who have Roth, they'll just keep going as Roth as the catch-up and no change. There are still a good number of people who have pre-tax contributions that they do, and then they go pre-tax catch-up. That won't be allowed. So there's a real question with the record keepers about updating systems to make sure people fall over. Plus, you're not required to be Roth catch-up unless you have over $145,000 of income in the prior year. So there's all these sort of like tests and ways to make this operate to make it work. Similarly, there's the question of so-called spillovers. A good number of plans, and the IRS has blessed this, allow you to make one election where you say, I'm going to elect to defer 60% of my salary or 25% of my salary. And when you hit the regular limit, it automatically spills over into Roth, sorry, into Ketchup. The problem is, is if you're doing pre-tax now and it converts to Roth, Roth once you get to Ketchup, There will be some systematic things that need to be worked out, so people are immediately diving on this because, as both you and Kevin know, our industry is not one that easily moves on a dime on computer programming, so it's going to take some time. Similarly, this applies across 401k plans, 403b and 457s. 403b and 457s are often governmental or tax exempt, but Roth is not as widely adopted necessarily in some of these plans. And we have clients who don't have Roth 401k, and that happens. So if they want to keep catch up starting in 2024, a lot of sponsors who don't have it are going to have to say, do I add Roth everywhere? How am I going to do this? And there's a lot of questions to be resolved. For instance, could you have Roth-only catch-ups? It isn't clear whether you can. But these are things that I know people will be talking to the IRS. I know we'll be talking to the IRS about this. And similarly, it is systems and sponsor side as we look forward. So that's a couple of examples right there.
0: Well, gentlemen, we're going to have to leave it there. Great inaugural edition of Secure Saturdays, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. we come back, we'll take a look at our best segments for the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer,
2: and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions, and I'm getting the report, so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit Repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation.
1: Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152.
0: Welcome back. This week, we discussed how social media affects youth's brain development. Let's take a look.
4: Yeah. So what we found um, is two different trajectories of brain development associated with differences in how often somebody checks social media at a young age. Um, So they were different at the start of the study, which is interesting because that kind of suggests to us that this might be starting even earlier than we were. So kids that were about 12, 13, Uh, filled out some surveys indicating how much they check social media a day. And kids that checked more often or more habitually um, started out lower in their brain's sensitivity to social feedback and increased over time, um, which we tracked over a year. So two different brain scans showed increased activation um, in areas in their brain that were associated with processing of social feedback. Um, And the other group that was moderate to low checking started out higher in social sensitivity and decreased over time. Um, So we saw two different distinct paths of brain development um, associated with different social media behaviors, um, brain looking different a year later. And we can't really say what that means yet. Um, We don't have, we didn't look at any outcomes. Um, That will be a really important direction for future studies. Um, But this is really just showing us that however somebody uses social media or how often, how often they check it um, might be associated with a different path of brain development. Adolescence is a critical period of brain development. Um, Things are changing. The brain is adapting to its environment to be able to better navigate it. Um, And social information is particularly important in adolescence. Um, It's really important to developmental tasks like identity processing. And so kids are actually, adolescents are wired to value social information above all else and sort of move away from, you know, valuing parents and more into peers, which makes sense because we've seen this for decades and how much adolescents value their friendships and spend time with their, pay attention to stuff going on with their peers. Um, so what we're seeing is like kids who are checking social media more often are, their brains are getting more sensitive to they're activating more when they're anticipating social feedback. Um, so I guess whatever rewards and punishments, um, this is something that we, you know, kind of offers a possible explanation for our results, uh, is that like, you know, looking for likes, comments, whatever they're getting, um, that's socially rewarding or punishing is sort of causing their brain to, um, become more attuned to that and become more sensitive. Um, The decrease on the other group may be more developmentally normative, Um, but yeah, we're just going to have to do some more studies and further explain that. So we looked at um, the top three popular social media platforms at the time that we collected the data. Um, So kids endorsed most popular Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and we added up the number of times that they said that they checked each platform to like a total score of checking social media. So we didn't really focus in on differences between the platforms. And a reason for that is how rapid technology, how rapidly technology changes. Um, We wanna make sure that we're keep making our research as relevant and generalizable as possible because um, platforms fall in and out of favor. Like teens actually are really not using Facebook as much anymore and this is before TikTok, right? And TikTok is huge. but because we looked at the behavior of social media checking, like how often they looked for an update, um, we can kind of extend that behavior um, and consider that you know, going forward, even though the digital landscape is already super different from when it was when we collected this data. We didn't look at blue light in our study. We focused on the habitual checking behavior. Um, and our research group hasn't looked at blue light specifically. Um, however, in this area of social media research, something that we're seeing come up a lot is just the amount of sleep that teens are getting. Um, and you know, if they're checking social media a lot, like we didn't account for what, when that's happening. So like, are they doing it a lot at night? Is it keeping them from going to bed? Are they waking up in the middle of the night and checking it? Because those are all like nuances and variations on the behavior that are probably really important, um, and would result in differences, but that's just something that, we would need to study in the future. As far as um, blue light, um, like I can't really speak to blue light specifically, but social media and technology can uh, interrupt or influence sleep patterns in a lot of different ways. And so checking, I think could do that. Um, So looking more specifically at that in the future will be important. And um, sorry, I was going to say like parents um, ask a lot of a lot of times people will ask me like, what would you tell parents and policymakers or educators? And I, I think sleep is one of the biggest targets that is like easy to set a limit on, like, no, like cutting off phone at bedtime at some point, just so kids, um, yeah, can protect their sleep integrity a little bit. And
0: we also discussed starting to pay down that holiday credit card
5: debt. Let's take a look. I often say credit's a financial tool, debt can become the financial problem. Credit, when you use it well, can be used to your financial advantage. Uh, you can have credit, not carry debt. And that's something people don't think about. So if you have a credit card and you pay that balance in full each month and you get cash back or discounts on purchases or you know, other incentives, that can be a financial advantage for you. Uh, and your credit report, and your, therefore your credit score, play a big part in that. Credit scores represent the information in your credit report And the likelihood that you'll repay a debt is agreed. So lenders use credit scores to help them evaluate whether you'll pay them back or not. That's critical because it helps them determine the interest rates they'll charge, the fees that you may have to pay, deposits, those sorts of things with credit arrangements. So having a good credit score will save you money in the long term. It also empowers you to negotiate with your lender. So if you're You're talking about holiday debt today. If you're carrying holiday debt, you have a credit card with high interest rates. If you have strong credit scores, that empowers you to go back to the lender and say, look, I'll manage my credit well. You can look at my credit history, my credit score show, I'll pay you back. Give me a better interest rate. And they may well do that. So it it gives you bargaining power to have a good credit score. Uh, It it lets you walk into the lender and say, give me what I want because I know I meet the, the criteria that you have. The average interest rates on credit cards have been creeping up. They're around 17% right now, something like that. If you have good credit scores, it never hurts to ask. You know, even if you don't, it never hurts to ask. The worst they'll do is say, no, you need to continue paying on that account. So good credit scores let you walk in and say, look, instead of that 17%, can you give me something less? And if they do, that lowers your monthly payment, helps you repay that debt, helps you stay in control of your finances. And that's what we want is people to control their money, not have their money control them. It's getting more difficult. There are fewer of those kinds of offers out there, but they still exist. Uh, So lenders may uh, offer introductory rates uh, and they offer a 0% interest rate for six months or a year. One of the ways you may take advantage of that is if you subscribe to, for example, experience services, we will help match you to credit cards that may offer those best rates or or better terms for you. Um, Do that at experience.com. I always have to to plug our company uh, and we do, um, but we do help match people to the cards that will help them. So take advantage of tools like that. One of the things that I was cautioned though, is if you get what they call an introductory rate, it will expire. And if you haven't repaid the debt on that card, the interest rate could be accruing and suddenly you'll face much higher payments and a a much higher debt. So if you do transfer your fees or transfer your balances, pardon me, make sure you understand the terms when you do that. When do they have to be paid back? What are the consequences if you don't? If you use that card for other purchases, does that affect that rate? Make sure you always understand the terms of the contract you're agreeing to, but they're out there uh, and, and could be an advantage. A personal loan typically is an unsecured loan. The idea is you take out a personal loan at a lower interest rate. It's an installment loan rather than a credit card with a revolving account. Pay off your credit card debts. And then you have a lower payment to pay off that installment loan. The risk is that you can be tempted then to use those credit cards because now they have a zero, zero balance. And you have to be sure that you have a plan and that you don't fall victim to that temptation. So if you pay off that those accounts with a consolidation loan or a personal loan, pay that loan off great plan if you stick to the plan. If you don't and you take on more debt, you'll find yourself in more problems. You know, I would advise talk to an accountant uh, or your financial advisor, changing your withholding rates, using that refund if you get one to help pay down debts can be another strategy. Uh, You know, there are other things you can do as well. Automate mind, get it done. Uh, Make sure that you're taking advantage of offers for the best terms and rates. Um, you know, make sure that you are staying on top of your credit history. Monitor that credit report, improve that credit score, because that's going to help you improve uh, your terms overall. Uh, and take advantage of tools like Experian Boost that helps you report, that enables you to report your utility payments, your cell phone payments, your streaming services to boost that credit score. Just go to Experian.com/boost. It's a free service. Anything you can do to strengthen your financial health and well-being, and your and what lenders see will help you address those those debts that we're facing coming off of the holidays. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have
0: a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line and don't forget for all the latest curated news and lifestyle wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website and our over 300 streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for BRN Sunday. We'll be breaking down the top news for the week in a multitude of topics. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity
3: You don't have to live in fear anymore. The call and the consultation are free.